to John's Gospel, chapter 3, please. As, a, as we start there, we are going to look at other scriptures then. John's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 14. The Lord Jesus is the speaker, and he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for all that has taken place thus far this morning. Thank you for the faithfulness you've placed in the hearts of your people and everyone that serves here and everyone that gathers, every family that's represented. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you'll bless thy word unto our hearts and glorify your name this morning. We ask you, Father, that all that is said and done would be to the glory of Christ and Christ alone. Thank you for this great salvation so full and so free. We thank you for the precious blood of the Lamb. And we thank you, Lord, that we're saved this morning by grace through faith in Christ alone. So, Father, help us to rejoice in our hearts for all that you've done, your Son has accomplished. And thank you for your Holy Spirit who's in our midst this morning and with us and in us. Glorify your own good self. For Jesus' sake we ask it and pray. Amen. Last week, we'll not do really a recap, but last week we looked at the manifestation of God's love, the intention of God's love, and the duration of God's love. We looked at the centrality of Christ in heaven and on earth. We looked at the uniqueness of Christ and his cross work, that is the, the fullness of that cross work that completed a work of Christ on the cross. And we looked how uh, he central in heaven, central on earth, how the prophets spoke of him and the apostles preached him, heaven surrounds him. Then we looked at the word believeth, he that believeth. It means to entrust one's spiritual well-being to Christ here, in this instance. To entrust one's spiritual well-being, your eternal, eternal spiritual well-being to Christ. It comes from the same word. It's the word uh, to believe, and it means uh, exactly what I said, but the root word is pestige. It means faith. So God gives us the faith to believe. Dead in trespasses and in sins, God gives us the faith to believe. We looked at him from the before the foundation of the world, knowing us, loving us, 
and his plan and purpose to save and redeem us. That was all last week and then we sort of started to close the, the message with the word pesis, faith, or the root word for believe. And it means a conjunction of, or pardon me, a conviction of truth. So when you and I believe in Christ, there's been a conviction of truth or belief with a trust. But it doesn't stop there because that's important for where we'll go with this this morning. It means not only a conviction of truth or belief and trust, it means to have, it gives us a a holy fervor, H-O-L-Y, a holy fervor for the things of God, for the word of God, for the glory of God. So then I asked the question, do you really believe? We're going to look at it a little more this morning. Do you really believe? For there is going to come a time, whether it's a pastor, a minister, a politician, a, 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 a teacher, a doctor, a nurse, with all the things that's going on in society through abortion and, and gay marriage and all those sort of things. That, what we really believe at that moment in time, it's all right for us to be here on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday night, and to be together. And that's where we should be, to gather strength with one another. To be with people of like-mindedness and, and the same spirit that is the Holy Ghost. Loving the same Christ, the same Savior. But there's going to come a time when, when we in our workplaces even and wherever it may be, we're going to be asked to do things against the word of God. And the idea of it is, where would you stand? Do you believe what you believe? Enough to say, I can't do that. I won't do that. Whether that be a pastor who's asked to uh, perform a, a gay marriage wedding ceremony, as they call it. Whether it be a, a doctor that's asked to perform an abortion. Or a teacher that's been asked to, to, to teach in a cur- curriculum of, of all the, these different genders that we hear of and those things. Where do we stand and what do we believe? It's okay to say, we believe on the salvation, and that's good. That's important. But what about that belief carries us on to a holy fervor to walk with Christ? What about when the government encroaches on the things that are God's? Render on their Caesar the things that are Caesar's. By all means, let's keep the law and pray for those in authority that they may be saved or changed. By all means. But what happens when the government encroaches in that which is Christ's? Render on the things, the things that are Caesar, on the God, the things that are God's. We must obey God rather than men. Now, by no means am I saying we should go out and break the law of the land. But when it encroaches on the things of Christ, on the word of God, then we must live by the law of the Lord. So, do we really believe? Do you and I, do we really believe? He that believeth, uh, uh, I've written this, we have a conviction of the word over the compelling of the word. Someone who really believes uh, we have a conviction of the word over the compelling of the word. We have a belief birthed from faith resulting in a holy fervor. We have a belief birthed from faith resulting in a holy fervor. Can I ask you this morning, CET, 
have your holy fervor for Christ. A holy fervor for the things of God. A holy fervor to reach the lost. And a holy fervor to go on with him and to know him. So he that believeth, let's look at a couple of these things. I'll read them out. You can look it up if you want. I'll mention the scripture text. And you can either write it down and look at it later for time's sake. But in Mark 16 and verse 16. Listen to the words of Christ. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Now baptism doesn't save us. But it's an obedience to go on in God. You baptized yet, believer? I'm not talking about sprinkled as a baby. I'm talking about fully submerged in water. In the name of the Lord, are you baptized yet? If you're not, then you need to come and see us. We need to arrange it. He that believeth, notice, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. The word damned here is a word, katakrino. Now, kata gives the idea of dominance, a pressing down. A dominance or a pressing down. And krino is from the word uh, can be to even criticize. It's an offshoot of crisis. It means to judge. So the idea is, he that believeth not shall be under the judgment wrath of God. The dominance of judgment is upon that man and that woman. And here's what one Greek scholar says. It means to judge worthy of punishment. Now you're saved You're not judged worthy of punishment. You believe, he that believeth, she that believeth are not under this judgment, but he that believeth not or she that believeth not shall be damned. To judge worthy of punishment, notice, it gives the idea, and notice this, by one's good example to render others' wickedness more evident. It means by one's good example. Notice, by one's good example to render others' wickedness more evident. And the thing about this is is that that when we look, we can see that, you know, some people may say they're only, someone's doing something well, they're only trying to make me look bad. Alice and I were talking to somebody not so long ago and the husband was saying how he'd done the hoovering and all the cooking and his goodness was making me look evidently bad. (laughs) I was trying to get her away as quick as I could. (laughs) Don't you listen to him, that's terrible of all liars have their portion and all, you know. (laughs) You see, but in the light of something that that would make you look bad... (laughs) And the exact same word here, the exact same term, only in a greater measure. It's in a a, a far immense greater measure that something that has been done makes the man or the woman look even worse. In John chapter 3 in our reading, and if you look at verse 19, John chapter 3 and 19, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. (laughs) The light of Christ came into the world and so because of who he is, it shows up who we are. 
because of his righteousness and him keeping a law we couldn't keep and, and living a life we couldn't live, because of who Christ is, then in the light of Christ, the God giving his son, you and I look even worse in our darkness and depravity. You get what the sense of this is now? So we will be measured according to that. He didn't come to condemn us, but to save us. But when men reject him, then they're shown in the light of this. Here's what God will accept. His son alone. What he has done alone. Whom he is alone. His blood alone. His sacrifice alone. Here's who you are. And so you must be in Christ to be accepted. And we are judged with the dominance of that light that has shone and we have not accepted it. You with me on that? You understand what I, where I'm coming from? And this is the same word, by one's good example to render another's wickedness more evident. Verse 20, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So we've already looked at John 3, verses 15 and 16, that those who are saved should not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. So we're not damned, we're saved. And we're saved and we won't perish. The word perish is apollome or apollome. It means to put out of the way, to abolish, to be lost, to be destroyed. For example, Jesus says the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Or I'm not come but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The word lost in all those occasions is the same word here for perish, apollome. Put out of the way. They were put out of his sight. They were lost in that sense. Only here it gives the idea of an eternal separation from God. He that believeth should not perish or be eternally separated from God, but have everlasting life. John chapter 3 and verse 18. He that believeth is not condemned. So we're, we won't perish. We won't be damned. And we won't be condemned or judged. The word here for judged is krino, the same as damn, kata krino. Here it is just the word krino, for judged. For example, uh, in Revelation chapter 20, if you want to turn with me. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 and 13, please. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged. That's the same word. Judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works in the sea, give up their dead which were in it, and death and hell or the grave, give, delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to the works. It's the same word. For condemned, every man was condemned. A condemned man, when he stands before a judge uh, uh, and, and he's sentenced to, the de- to death row, when it comes to his time, he has his last meal, he's a condemned man. And the idea here is that those who do not believe are condemned already. Right now, the unbeliever is condemned. But you and I who are in Christ... 
trusting in his finished work. We are not under that condemnation, neither will we stand in that condemnation. Notice, in death and hell were cast into a lake and fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into a lake of fire. That's the last mention of this word, Krino. The judgment's gone, it's over, it's done with. That's the great white throne judgment of the unbeliever. It's over and done with. And those of us who are in Christ will not stand there. But we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. God willing, this morning I'll look briefly at that. Those under condemnation now in this life, at this present moment, those who die in their sin under that condemnation will stand before God in that same condemnation with their end being a lake of fire. Burning torment forever. Even our, even our minds, our finite minds, our mentality cannot understand or comprehend or cope with something like that forever. Oh, we're going to have everlasting or eternal life forever and ever. Even that we can't cope or understand. We know it's long, we know it's unending, but we still have no idea what it all entails. And so the lake of fire is the same. He that believeth, he that believeth not. Two worlds, worlds apart. Notice here in John 6 and 47, the Lord Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. We have that this morning, brothers and sisters. We have that in Christ this morning. Something else, he that believeth. When I say he that believeth, we mean he or she that believeth. We also have the Holy Spirit. John chapter 6 and verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. Notice, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. He's speaking of drinking of him of the Spirit of God. So here he, he's the word that we eat and he's the Spirit that we drink. And again in John chapter 7 verses 37 onward he says, uh, he stands at the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles on that last day. And he starts crying out to the to the Jews who have had this great feast and they're going away home the same, more or less the same way that they came. And he starts crying out about the Holy Spirit. Will you turn with me to John 7, please? Verse 37. Last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, Notice, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living, living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, capital S is the Holy Spirit, which they that believe in him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Here he's saying, if he that believeth hath everlasting life, 
He that believeth hath eternal life and won't be damned, won't be judged uh, at the great white throne judgment, won't come under condemnation, will not perish, but they will have everlasting life. And the life force in them is my spirit. My spirit. So what you and I have this morning, not only in us, but with us, is the blessed Holy Ghost. Here we have Jesus in our midst. And so we have, he that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And also, he that believeth, Jesus says, will be raised in the first resurrection of the dead. Notice John chapter 11 and verse 25. John chapter 11 and verse 25. The Lord Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Not I will be, but I am right now. It's who he is. I am the resurrection and the life. Notice, he that believeth in me. Do you notice everything? Even Christ himself is saying it's in me. It's in me. It's in me. And yet in other uh, religions like Islam, even in Judaism and others, Christ means nothing. But Jesus himself was saying, no, it's in me. The Spirit, believe in me, you receive the Spirit. Believe in me, and I'll feed you spiritual life. Believe in me, you'll have eternal life. Believe in me, you'll have everlasting life. Believe in me, you won't be damned. Believe in me, you won't come under condemnation. Believe in me. And you'll be raised up. Believe in me, you receive the Holy Ghost. Christ himself says it's all in me, he says. Yet you'd think to hear people that, well, Jesus didn't say any of these things. Notice, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Speaking of the resurrection. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. In other words, when he returns and those who are alive, they will be changed. So we have glorification. He that believeth shall be glorified. Brothers and sisters, uh, uh, this morning I trust that we're getting a fresh glimpse of the cross. We're getting a fresh glimpse of the work of Christ. That we're getting a fresh glimpse of the power of the blood. That we're getting a fresh glimpse of who he is. The wonderful saviour and healer. The baptizer and the Holy Ghost. He's the soon coming king. And we will rule and reign with him. He that believeth. She that believeth. Now let me turn this a little on its head to us. We have the responsibility of he that believeth. We have a responsibility. John 14 and verse 12, Jesus said, He that believeth on me. Again, unique, centralized, personalized on himself. Unique, uniquely on Christ centralized in Christ, personally, in and from Christ. Nowhere else. Jesus doesn't say there'll be other gurus. I'm a spiritual guru and there'll be others to come. He doesn't say there's going to be another prophet after me. He doesn't say that. He says it's all in me. He that believeth on me, the works that I 
do, shall he do also. Do you know what I have written here, church? I'm speaking, I'm starting with me. Starting with me. you know what I've written here? How far short do we fall? How far short? We are the body of Christ, isn't that right? With the spirit of Christ within us, isn't that right? And all this blessing, yet how far short are we falling? When there are sick people and dying people that shouldn't be dying and all these sort of things, we can all theologize all of these things, but surely there are times when we should be praying and having the faith to see people healed. And the problem is, we, we, including me, we look at all the medical profession, thank the Lord for them too, but we look at those things and we, we look at, at, at men. Let's chase this so-called healing ministry. Listen, healing ministry is not the healing ministry. The Lord's the healer. He is the healer. And we have a responsibility that we should be believing for more, for greater. Don't look to me to try and heal you. Don't look to me. To, I can pray for you by all means. And I believe God for you by all means. But don't look to me to try and heal you. I can't heal. I couldn't heal you. I couldn't cure bacon. You know. <laughs> and not only in this, but it gives us the idea that we have a responsibility to walk as he walked. You know, if you'll turn with me to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. And just a couple of verses, please. Verse 10. 1 Peter 4 and 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See the word manifold grace of God? It's also been termed as the variegated grace of God. The variegated grace of God. It means not only quality, but in quantity, because believers would receive the Spirit and go out in greater measure. It means here that the word stewards means one who governs a household and takes the responsibility of it. And what Peter's saying here, as every man has received a gift, so every gift is not the same. Every, uh, every measure of grace and, and, and every measure of faith that you and I have, we're all different. You know the worst thing you can do is measure yourself up to someone else. You, you, you seek God for your life, for your gifting, for the ministry. You seek God for whatever it is. And let God do that which he wants to do in your life. And be a steward over that which God has put you over. A good steward. It means one who governs a household. And, and so what it means is, and every man hath received the gift, 
So minister the same one to another. So what you have, minister to your brothers and sisters. And what you have, minister to someone else. Minister the grace. Minister uh, the, the variegated. It means it's all different. It says here, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth him. Listen, don't be getting into arguments, especially with doctrines and things you're not sure about. It only pulls you down. And sometimes we, we're so careful and conscious to try and win the point, we lose the person. And we want to score rather than win the soul. Notice, the divine oracles means the utterances and the revelations that God has given. Notice, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we have to ask ourselves, in everything that we are, we all fail. Nobody's perfect. None of us are. But what we have to look at is is some of the, the things that we have said, done, or where we've been, it doesn't glorify Christ. Does that action glorify Christ? Does that words that I've spoken, do they glorify Christ? Does that lifestyle thing I've done, does that glorify Christ? Does that place where I've been, does that glorify Christ? Notice, because he that believeth, she that believeth will glorify Christ. That's our aim. That's our goal. That's the holy fervor. Why? Because he lives within us by the Spirit who will then show Christ. Let me just show you one or two little things here. Go with me to Hebrews 13 while we're down this way. That is Bible way. Hebrews 13. And this is especially for Pastor Arne and I, but it's for all of us. And let your eye run down to verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. So uh, we have, you have a responsibility to sit under leadership. Not dictatorship. Leadership. For they watch for your souls. Notice as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So whatever we're telling or teaching and leading, we'll give an account. There's things that I've spoken of, even in the men's fellowship, there are certain issues on biblical, theological things, and some of the men were sitting around talking to me, and I was 
bringing things from a different doctrinal point of view, and we were talking about it, and, and some of them were saying, you should teach that in the church. We've never heard those things before. And I thought, eh, no. <laughs> if I'm sold out on something, I'll preach it. But if I'm not, I won't. And the thing about it is, I have to be careful. Pastor Aaron has to be careful. Every Sunday school teacher, the children's club that's starting tomorrow night, all who'll be speaking in it for the week, and so on, the youth and so on, have to be careful what we teach. You know why? Because we will give an account for it. And here's another thing, we'll give an account for what we don't teach. He that believeth, so preacher, pastor, minister, do you really believe that? He that believeth, I believe in Christ. So then I have to believe that what I preach, I will stand before him. So I must watch what I preach. Or be willing to give the account. And you and I are the same. Notice this, Matthew chapter 12, if you want to turn. Just one little verse. We'll just lift out for time's sake. Matthew chapter 12. It's good to hear the leaves of the Bible, isn't it? It's a lovely sound, isn't it? Matthew chapter 12. And just let your eye run down to verse 36. I'll tell you what, let's go to verse 35. The Lord Jesus, again, as a speaker, he says, A good man out of the good treasure bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word. Would you say idle word? Every idle word. That men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. An idle word. So we must watch what we say. Listen, it's so easy for all of us to be standing and having a chat and something come up and next thing uh, it goes somewhere where we wouldn't usually want it to go. Isn't that true? There are things that we say that we shouldn't say. There are flippant things that we say that we shouldn't say. And every idle word, there are those that go and blatantly gossip just for the sake of letting people think they're in the know. They gossip. Every idle word, believer. He that believeth must then believe I have to watch my mouth because I'm going to give an account for every idle word that's said here. Every brother of slandered. Every person I've spoke death over. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And there's people who have spoken death over people. That is pulling their character down. Every idle word will give an account for it. Where will we give an account? Romans 12, please. 
I, I remember years ago I taught on this for a few weeks and more in depth. I maybe do it again some other time. But Romans chapter 12, this is just a, an overview, a little gloss on over. And let's write run down, please, to verse 7. Our ministry, let us wait in our ministering. And he that teacheth on teaching, he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy, mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another not slothful of business fervent in spirit serving the Lord rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation continuing instant in prayer distributing to the necessity of the saints given the hospitality bless them which persecute you bless and curse not rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that do rejoice be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but consent to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much at last, then you live peaceably with all men. I'm glad Paul put that line in there. As much as laugh in you. Because Paul was a man and he knew it's difficult. Let's be honest with ourselves. How many times he that believeth, she that believeth, Christian, how many times have you wanted to allow the old man or the old woman to go and gently greet someone by grabbing them by the throat. It's not true. And it eats you. People are usually away doing their own thing, but it's eating you up. Then let the Lord deal with them. Let the Lord deal with them. Deal with that situation. You step back and in prayer, pray for them. Second Corinthians. Let's go to Romans 14 while I'm here, actually. Romans 14, verse 10. Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This isn't about not judging things in church. I know the, the old saying that we always say, Oh, judge not lest I be judged. That's the twisting of scripture. We're to test, we're to prove. This isn't what it means here. But Paul is reminding us that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we will find loss or reward. Not salvation loss now. Loss or reward. Second Corinthians, please, chapter 5. Second Corinthians, chapter 5. 
And let your eye run down to verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen, this is not the judgment seat of Revelation 20, which we read about the great white throne judgment for the unbeliever. He that believeth will stand here. So he that believeth won't be damned and condemned and they uh, they won't be lost. But he that believeth will stand before God and give an account for every idle word. We'll give an account for how we've lived our lives. We'll give an account as the body of Christ. For you must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good. Notice, good or bad. Notice verse 11. Now, now you're thinking here of a lot of the, 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 the pop culture gospel. You are, we are righteous in Christ. This isn't about your salvation here. This is about our walk with Christ, our service and our labor. Notice this. The pop culture, if I can call it that, the, the, the modern, easy living gospel that we hear is a case of, you know, just go do as you want and everything's fine. We're all just going to waft the heaven in a handbasket. You know, everything's going to be great. Live how you like and do what you want and be who you please and, and accept everything in. Love, 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 love. God is love. We don't deny that. The Bible says that we believe that. But love is not all that God is. Notice what he says, and this is to the church. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Church, we know there's a terror of the Lord. And we'll stand before God to give an account. We need to tell people. We persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Now we're closing. So that's responsibility. What about sanctification? Second Corinthians, please. Chapter 6. Just for time's sake, verse 14. Paul says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he with a, that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Notice, for ye are the temple of the living God. The church. Ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and will walk in them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Wherefore come ye out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Notice we have here in verse 14, unequally yoked. It means you, you, you couldn't ploy with a, a donkey and an ox. One would be stronger than the other. We'd pull out of line. They had to be of the same ilk. Two oxes or two, if you want, asses, donkeys. And then notice here, he's saying, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? We have to look at our lives and say, is there light or is this dark? 
In all our areas of all of our lives, my life, your life, where we are, what we do, where we stand, is this light or is this dark? And then we have to decide from there, we have to look at what concord in verse 15 hath Christ with Belial. Belial means, you know what it means? Worthless, wicked, hopeless ruin comes from the name for Satan. Notice here, what concord hath Christ with Belial? See the word concord, it comes from two words, sun, which means with. Sun, which means with. And phone, which means a sound. It's the word symphonesis. And it's where we get our word symphony from. You know, so you get the string section, and the woodwind section, and the brass section, and the orchestra. Or if you want to bring it closer home, you get the lovely piano and the violin, and you get the guitars. And you get Billy's not here, the bass, he's not here today. Uh, you have the bass and the drums, and they should all make a symphony to play together that we can worship and sing with. Isn't that right? And all the singers come along and join in. It's the same word here. What concord hath Christ with the unbeliever? And with those that worship other idols, you believer, he that believeth, is the temple of God. Brothers and sisters, this is, by the way, the third temple that's being built. You and me. So we should be sanctified. Sanctified in our faith. Lastly, We should have a solid grounding in the faith. 1 John verses 4 and 5. 1 John, the little epistle of John, please. Chapter 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You see, especially for new converts, it's for all of us, but especially for new converts, there are times when we're all tried and tempted and tested. We're all human. We all have emotions and our wills and our wants and our desires. We all have the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. Every one of us. But especially for new converts, because you struggle to say, is this meant to be? Uh, how do I get over this? How do I get through this? And, and especially young converts, they, they struggle with many of the things that those who have went on in God don't struggle with anymore. How do we overcome the word? It's your faith overcomes the word that you believe. If you really believe, he that believeth, I'm saved. He that believeth, I have eternal life. He that believeth, I have everlasting life. He that believeth, I'm not condemned. He that believeth, I'm not damned. He that believeth, I'm not judged. For the lake of fire. He that believeth I have the Holy Ghost in me. He that believeth I have a responsibility to go on with God. He that believeth I need to live a separate and a sanctified life. 
How much do we believe? A new convert, young convert, save whether it's a week or a day or even a year or whatever. You have to dig deep. But I believe this, Jesus. The trials will come. The temptations will draw. But if you really believe, if you really believe, then throw yourself on what Christ has done for you. Notice verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. I think we'll stop there. He that believeth hath everlasting life. 